Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Today's sermon is entitled, The Fruit of the Spirit. I know, really catchy. Part 1, okay? There's going to be three parts to this sermon. And then uh, we'll get into a Christmas message after that. But three parts of this sermon. And hopefully by the end of this series, you'll be able to memorize and quote the nine different fruit of the Spirit without singing it like I have to. Okay? So hopefully you'll be able to do that. And uh, just start off with, with a couple of thoughts here. Before there can be fruit, there must be a root. And one must be anchored in the Almighty, and you can only be anchored in the Almighty if you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Now what I'm saying is that it all begins with forgiveness. Once you're forgiven, then you are filled with the Spirit. Remember last week, or two weeks ago, I used this scripture, 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. I do not have this on the board, but, uh, and it says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has put his seal on us and given us his Spirit in your hearts as a guarantee. Remember, if you're sitting here today and you have professed Christ in your life to forgive you of your sins and you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living, residing inside of you as a seal, as a guarantee of His salvation. Filled with the Spirit means to be saturated or influenced. We need to remember that when there is forgiveness and a a filling, struggle breaks out. Hang on just a second here. I don't want to trip over this wire, and I probably will. Galatians 5.17 out of the CSB says, For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and and the Spirit desires, desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so you don't want to do what you want. We must be prepared for war and a combat. When someone comes to me and they want to become a Christian, they want to ask Christ to forgive them of their sins and to be the Lord and Savior of their life, and then we go on and we get baptized, I generally will counsel with them, or I always will counsel with them. Now is when the war, the battle starts. The devil doesn't like it that you've given your heart to life to Christ, and he is going to be at war with you trying to mess things up. And we know that's what happened. Preparation for this war does not mean that we sit on the sidelines and watch the Holy Spirit do the battle for us. We are to be engaged in the battle, in the war. And once these are in place, then we start seeing fruit. I saw it explained like this. You can't be fruitful if you're not following. You can't follow if you're not filled. You cannot be filled if you are not forgiven. Be sealed and filled and watch what is revealed. I kind of like that. 
Now, I just finished a 31-day devotion, and I know I've been talking about like, uh, about this a lot. Now I'm on one about Christmas. But uh, I just finished a 31-day devotion of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the last nine days of the devotion were, uh, were uh, a study in the individual spiritual gifts that make up one whole. And which led me to the next three sermons. I've seen others do and heard others do a sermon on each one. But I'm going to take each of the nine individual, and I don't want to say individual, but uh, virtues and combine them into threes. Okay, and that's what we're doing today. The first three, peace, love, and joy. Um, Actually, it would be love, joy, and peace if we go by the way the Bible has it. And um, we'll be looking at those on the next three Sundays. Now, the Bible Knowledge Commentary puts it like this. The word fruit is singular, indicating these qualities um, constitute a unity, all of which should be found in a believer who lives under the control of the Spirit. In an ultimate sense, the fruit is simply the life of Christ lived out in a Christian. It also points to the method whereby Christ is formed in a believer. Now, if you have your finger on our focal passage, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, follow along as I read out of the ESV. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. First thing I want to look at this morning will be love. There's a praise song that we sometimes sing that's, um, well, I always call it amazing love, but it actually... Uh, is something else but anyway it goes the course goes like this amazing love how can it be that you my king would die for me amazing love i know it's true it's my joy to honor you in all i do i honor you i love that course love brings forth our worship and our honor to god Now, going back to the fruit, I want to note this. It means, fruit means to harvest. The word is singular. It is the divine life working in all of us. All the fruit was perfectly manifested in Christ. God has planted His love in our hearts, and He has every right to expect an abundant harvest he has every right to expect us to to deliver the same things that he exhibits in his life totally in first corinthians 13 paul says and now abides faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love now let's define the word love and that's hard to do when I meet with people before they get married, it's hard to define the word love. But I, looking around and things, and in our context, I look at it like this. There are several Greek words for love, and we've, 
discussed those previously in previous sermons. One is eros, which means the erotic or sexual type of love. Another is phileo, which means brotherly, affectionate, or um, friendly type of love. And the word that is used here is the agape love, or agapeo, as it is said in Greek. That is the special, unconditional, or sacrificial love of God. God is love, and without God, there can be no agape love. The love that comes from God is to be rooted through us and to those around us. Now, some think that love is just a feeling or an emotion. It's like a knot in the stomach. Stars in the eyes, maybe goosebumps on the back of your neck. As a result, people are always searching for that type of magical feeling. And sometimes when I get answers, because first thing I always ask when I'm counseling couples before they get married is, why do you love this person? How do you know you love this person? And a lot of times that's the kind of answers that I'll get. And I always take pause because if you're looking for that magical feeling, believe me, sometimes that magical feeling isn't going to be there. Right? You that have been married many years like us, like me, sometimes that magical feeling isn't there. Matter of fact, I'll tell them, sometimes you just got to go to separate corners and wait it out. You do? Oh, I see some of you, you're frowning at me. But the fact is, sometimes you just got to go to neutral corners. That just makes the getting together even better, right? Right? So it's not some feeling or emotion. Some think that it's uncontrollable. Love just happens and I can't control it. Thus, we can fall in it and we can fall out of it. Now, that's dangerous. I've been fairly lucky in the amount. And I know I keep going back to weddings because that's one of the things that I was thinking of mostly when I was putting together this sermon. But falling in love, falling out of love, unfortunately, that's the type of things that leads to divorces. Now, I've been fairly lucky in the, uh, all the weddings that I've done. I've only had a few that ended up in divorce. And you know, the interesting thing is, I could have told you at the very beginning, when I was talking to these couples, and my wife will attest to this, because I'll tell her about it, that this marriage has a good chance of failure. It really does. You don't just fall into love. Love is a choice. And that's what brings me to my next part of this is that in Colossians 3.14 it tells us, but above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Why would Paul tell us to put on something we can't control or that we only feel? That wouldn't make sense. Love is not a command as much as it is an option. I'm sorry, love is a command and not just an option. Another thing is that love must be discovered. The only place to discover agape love is with God. What can be said about God's love? I've got a, some things here that I wrote down. It's unmerited. He loves me because He loves me. I can do to get God to love me. He already loves me. Love is universal. He loves everyone. 
He loves every ethnic group. He loves those that want to try and eliminate him. He loves them. He loves you and me. It's unquenchable. Romans 8.35 out of the CSB Bible tells us that who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Nothing can quench the love that God has for us. It's unending. It's unchanging. And it's unconditional. As I was researching, I found this little illustration, and I kind of liked it. So I put it in here. A young man was proposing to his girlfriend. He knelt before her and said, I know I don't have the looks of Johnny Green. I, don't, I know I don't drive a car like Johnny Green. I know I don't dress like Johnny Green, but I love you with all my heart. Would you marry me? And the young lady replied, yes. I will marry you, but would you mind introducing me to this Johnny Green? Love must be demonstrated. God's our extreme example, our great example of this. Of this part, Romans 8, 39, Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can be, can separate us. And that's how God demonstrates His love for us. Another thing concerning love that I often use in weddings comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. It turns the other cheek. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful. It's not jealous. It's not puffed up. It's not arrogant. Love is active. Now once love is defined and discovered, it then needs to be demonstrated. Jesus put it this way, By this all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how's your love life today? Submit to the Holy Spirit. And ask Him to produce the harvest of love. Now the second point today is joy. Jumping with joy is what I'm going to call this. And I found again another little illustration about this. During a Texas revival meeting led by Mordecai Ham, a man in the congregation was overcome by the love and mercy of God. He had killed four men and never dreamed God could care for him. He was so touched by the gospel that he stood up during that service in 1910 and shouted, Saved! 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 Jack Schofield, the musician for the revival, was so moved by the man's testimony that he used those words to, to write that popular hymn the next afternoon. Remember the words? Saved by His power divine, saved to new life, to new heights sublime. Life now is sweet and my joy is complete, for I'm saved, saved, saved. Jesus said, by their fruit you shall know them. And joy is part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It should be manifested in the life of the believer. 
Now, three parts of this particular point I want to look at will go like this. Real, thrill, and steal. Joy is real. Don't confuse it with happiness. I did a word search in my ESV Bible. Do you know that happiness is only mentioned two times in the entire Bible? I went through the King James and happiness was only once. ESV uses it twice. But joy is referenced to 188 times. Happiness is by chance, but joy is by choice. Happiness comes by circumstances. Joy comes from Christ. You can have the joy in spite of circumstances, difficulties, or problems. So what makes this joy real? First thing I think of is God's presence. It means gladness or well-off. Joy comes as a result of God's grace. As a matter of fact, I think joy and grace come from the or joy and grace comes from the same root word. Where there is no grace, there is no joy. Another thing is our perspective. Joy is not only a product of the spirit, it also comes from excuse me, the perspective of the Christian. Christianity is not a life without problems and God may not change your problems, but He can change your perspective. James 1, verses 2 and 3 tells us to be joyful for our trials because this testing produces endurance. That's one of the verses in the Bible that's really hard for me to Oh, I understand it, but to live up to, I guess you could say. I don't like testing. I don't like trials. But I also know that trials bring forth an endurance. People who have problems can also have joy. You can have joy in the midst of your financial, your physical, your relationship type problems. Another thing there was thrill. The joy should give us a great feel. Sadly, though, I walk into many churches, and sometimes even here, and it looks like a picture from the movie Grumpy Old Men. Yeah, I see Gordon back there giving me that. Why do, we, why do Christians come into church and look like they just lost their dog? Now, okay, sometimes it does happen. But the fact of it is, is we should be joyful. We should be happy when we come in to worship God. There are several ways that the Bible expresses joy in singing and dancing. I looked up 1 Samuel 18, 6. Remember when David came back home from... Uh, from going to war as enemies and the ladies were there singing and dancing his praises? Shouldn't we be doing the same thing? When we come into the house of God and we're worshiping Him, now, okay, maybe the dancing part, okay, we, you know, Baptists don't dance unless you keep one foot in one place, but still, 
shouldn't we be happy? Shouldn't we be happy? Shouldn't we be singing? Shouldn't we have praise coming from our hearts? Another thing that I found out, and this might be difficult for some of you, but leaping and jumping. I remember, and I've told you before years ago about this, at another church we had uh, Triple T, uh, the, I forgot what they're called now, the people that come all the time. And we had them come in and we had these girls do somersaults all the way down the middle aisle. And I thought, oh my goodness. But you know what? They were just happy to be worshiping God. And that's how they expressed it. Okay, Elsie, next time you come in, we want to see some somersaults down the middle aisle. How about that? Wear pants. <laughs> Matter of fact, it says in Acts 3.8, and leaping up, he stood. Remember when the, le- the uh, lame person was healed? And he stood up and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Sometimes we forget that some of the things that God does in our lives each and every day are just as significant as healing the lame person. Shouting. Psalm 31 says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. It's okay to shout. It's okay to say amen. It's okay to say, thank you, Lord. We don't have to be silent. Kind of reminds me, and my granddaughter wears this shirt every once in a while, and it has the words, and you remember the kid's song, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Oh, come on. Down in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. Okay, man, I, you know, I, I didn't know that I would sing that. But the fact of it is, is sometimes that's how we come about. It's like, where? 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 Where is the joy? Now, the last thing I said was steal. Steal. There are people out there that want to steal our joy. There's a devil out there that wants to steal, steal our joy. What things steal it? Sin. If you're a Christian and you're involved in sin, guess what? I guarantee you're not joyful. Guarantee you're not happy. Strife. Situations, unpleasantness. The trials. Selfishness. Sour. Sourness. And Satan himself. Satan is, that's his job is to steal and lie. And his number one task is to steal our joy. And how's he done? By introducing those other things into our lives. Or sometimes we're just scared. Where does a person find joy? Joy is found when nothing comes between Jesus and you. Every lost person should also be reminded that without Christ, there is no true joy. And then lastly, peace. Peace. 
Helen Keller said, I don't want peace that passes understanding. I want understanding that brings peace. I like that. What is peace? It's been described as a sense of security, a sense of foundation underneath you, the assurance that God is in control, and an absence of conflict. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. You've heard that. Shalom. I'm not going to try and tell you what the Greek word is. But it means completeness, soundness, welfare. Peace is not avoiding a problem or simply pleasing others because that can sometimes bring on problems of its own and create a false peace. The word peace is used many times in Scripture. I did a word search on that and it came up hundreds of times. Sometimes used in the Hebrew sense, shalom, and sometimes in the New Testament used as the Greek word. But it's used, peace is used hundreds of times in Scripture. But there are three types of peace that I see, that I saw that we can experience. We can experience peace eternal. This is the source of peace. It's peace with God. It's true peace. All hostility between God and us are eliminated. The Greek form means a harmonious relationship between God and man. I focused on three things that I found here from Donald McCauley. He says, rebellion. There was a time of perfect peace. If we look at Genesis chapters 1 through 3, Perfect Adam lived in a perfect place with a perfect body, doing perfect work, eating perfect food, and even had a perfect wife. There was a perfect peace. Then came the rebellion. God's word was distorted, doubted, denied, and, dis- and disobeyed. No longer was there any peace. They hid. No longer were they right with God or each other. They played the blame game. And then another thing was reconciliation. Reconciliation, God came through Christ to reconcile us to Him, to make right. Then comes redemption. He was given, giving to them His peace. And we can have that same peace today. What's the course of peace? This is the peace of God. What can be said about this peace? Situations, the kind of peace that God gives, situations can't suppress it. Everything that happens is for God's ultimate good. Some things we'll never understand or comprehend. We may not like it, But that's just because we don't understand why God does certain things. But all of it is for His glory. Storms can't uh, subdue it. Read of a submarine that came into port and this crew was asked how they endured the horrible storm that had hit the night before. The reply was, what storm? They'd been anchored so deep, they never realized there had even been a storm. 
society, the devil may try to steal it. Society, people may try to steal it. But only you can allow that to happen. Philippians 4, 7 tells us to guard against the stealing. There's a picture of peace standing at the doorway, window, or gate that's guarding us. You can have peace when the times are tough and the days are dark. The world can't take it away. External peace, this is the force of peace. This is a peace with others. This can be the toughest kind of peace. It's hard to turn the other cheek or go the second mile. I know that. Rest assured, Christians, there will be conflict and there will be some dark days. How does one handle conflict or promote peace? And I'm going to just kind of close with this. How do we handle these dark times, these lack of peace in our lives? First, we attack the problem and not the person. Did you get that? We attack the problem and not the person. We cooperate with each other as much as possible. I know that it's difficult sometimes, but that's what Christ wants us to do. And we focus on reconciliation, not resolution. Not every problem not every issue is going to be resolved no matter how much you want it or work at it but you can work towards reconciliation you can agree to disagree again folks when i meet with couples who are about to get married not always is there going to be a resolution because that means somebody isn't going to be happy but we do work towards reconciliation sometimes even in the church friends we just got to agree to disagree because there are different opinions i have seen people take the same scripture and give a good argument for two different sides Sometimes I think that those scriptures are things that we probably shouldn't try to focus on. What should we focus on? The gospel. The salvation message. So where are you today? We've mentioned the first three of nine fruit of the spirit love joy and peace where are you today do you have those exhibiting in your life do you have those as a part of your life now i can't wait till next sunday when we get into the next three but still i think that those are probably the most important love joy Peace.
As we come towards our invitation time, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about those verses, and I want you to think about, Lord, am I exhibiting things, these things in my own life? Am I being the Christian, exhibiting the fruit that I should be? Or, Lord, am I just like the old movie, Grumpy Old Men? And I'm not looking at any grumpy old men here. I am just saying. Is that what's exhibited in your life? Or maybe we could say grumpy old people. How about that? Let's pray as we prepare for our invitation. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. I thank you so much again for the opportunity to speak these words. Lord, I just pray that we are exhibiting the fruit that we should be exhibiting, that we should just have that flowing out of us, that people see these aspects in our life and they know that we are Christians by our love and our joy and our peace. Guide us through this time of invitation. Amen. Stand with me as we sing together the birthday of the King.